Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for people inclined to take action in the age of coronavirus. As Americans and as Texans, we wonder about the choices we are personally making in this new world disorder. And because our state and federal governments have failed to provide the leadership necessary to help all of us make informed decisions, it sometimes seems like we're all on our own. But at a time when it's easy to feel helpless, we're focused on action. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and progressive activists in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country hold our leaders accountable and build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for this world. Welcome to Oh This World. My name is Antoinette Perez, and you are tuning in to the Weekend Grab Bag. Lucas, hello, hello. Hello, how are you? Doing pretty okay. How are you? I feel like we have so much to cover. Well, then, let us get to it, and we will begin with our Friday thank you to our podcast patrons, Nanette Fodell. Karen Griffin and Kyle Burkhart, thank you so much for supporting us with your ears, with your recommendations and social sharing, and with your dollars. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can also do that at patreon.com forward slash oh this world pod. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. We do. Okay, yes. should we just jump in? Jump, jump in. in. What are, okay. What's the update for Friday? Where are we? So just as a reminder for everyone, on Friday we go over our numbers um, and where we are is there are 6,682,531 confirmed COVID cases globally, according to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. Here in the United States, we've now had 108,334 deaths. So with everything else going on, we'd already had the Republican Party underplaying the catastrophe that they created through their lack of preparation and lack of testing. And now we have almost 109,000 of our fellow Americans who are dead. So uh, not to not to put a damper on the Friday grab bag, but we got to keep our eyes a little bit on the on the ball here. Um, Also worth noting, uh, CNN uh, has new cases of the novel coronavirus are rising faster than ever worldwide at a rate of more than 100,000 a day. Um, over a seven-day average. Um, So that's something to keep in mind. Here in Travis County, this is from the Statesman on June 2nd, we have 73 new cases um, on on Tuesday of this week, um, bringing the total to 3,433. So these numbers are a little out of date. The reason I have this article up, however, is... Um, because it notes that Monday was the largest single-day increase in Travis County uh, since the beginning of all this, and health officials said Tuesday that the daily number, again, I'm quoting from the statesman here, we'll post this up in the episode notes, the daily number of new cases uh, has gone um, upward. So there is that. I guess a bit of, I don't know if I'd call it, well, it's not bad. It is good news, I guess, um, is that federal unemployment rate has dropped to 13.3% in May from 14.7% in April. It seems, Antoinette, from what I can tell, like this is people who had temporarily lost their jobs as those businesses closed that are now reopening. I guess my fear would be now that we're reopening and cases are going up, you know, if those people lose their jobs again, I, that's why I say I don't know if this is good news. I mean, obviously, it's good news. We want people being paid. We want people employed. But I feel like it's good news with an asterisk a little bit. Asterisk? Asterisk? Yes. Ast- no, asterisk. No, no, The first one. Pa- path holder. Path holder. Um, okay. So those are the numbers for the week. Any thoughts? Any additions? Any thoughts? 
just curiosity over the total unemployment figure, because I had read yesterday that this week there were an additional 2 million unemployment claims filed. And I remember we ended last week at 40 million. So I wondered if that put us at 42 at the end of this week or if there were other numbers I missed. Well, the number I have in front of me is 2.4 million. Uh, Well, no, that's that's I'm. No worries. I'm going to have to report back. I'm going to have to report back. back. We are not, uh, you know. We're not journalists here. It's, it's it's the DIY thing. Our research team is also recording the podcast right now. So yes. Oh, I did want to give another number since we do the numbers this week, Antoinette, and that number okay. is five. Do you know what five is? Oh, <laughs> I think I know where you're going. Five is the number of Texas GOP county leaders who have been found to have shared racist Facebook posts this week. Oh. Including, we have this complete kook in Bear County. I'm sure you followed that story, Antoinette. Yes. Who was claiming that the George Floyd murder was a hoax to help Trump. Uh, she is so off the rails that even Chip Roy and Greg Abbott have called for her to resign. Although I would also point out, and this relates to our next little segment here, that as recently as about three days ago, Chip Roy, our congressman in the 21st, was retweeting the county uh, GOP, Travis County chair, who completely out of whole cloth was saying, oh, I think these violent protests have been organized by an Austin City Council member, who he then named. I won't say the name because we're not going to just spread disinformation. We're not repeating disinformation. We don't repeat disinformation. But it's interesting that when this this other lady got called out and the media started paying attention, oh, that's too much for Chip Roy. But when uh, you know Chip spreads conspiracy theories as long as they don't, make any headlines that's fine for him Ooh, i am coming in hot today it's another one can you bring tell? the heat you started bring... the week with heat and you're gonna end the week with heat okay so antoinette we don't exclusively focus on this podcast on local um but we certainly are local here in austin and I just wanted us um, – I know we have a, an interview today that I'm really excited to get to, uh, but I did want us to talk briefly about what's happening in Austin with the protests um, since the George Floyd um, murder. <sighs> oh, boy. Have you been follow? I mean, wh- where are you with all of this? Following loosely. I have days where I'm really not looking at the news, both from a busy schedule and also from a little bit of self-care. But I know that you have been connecting a lot more dots than I have in this past week with the local stuff going on. Well, yeah. I mean, so there was already, and we don't need to go into all of the all of the history, but there was there was already tension between the community and the, the police in Austin, right? Because of the death of Mike Ramos, who was a, a man who was unarmed and killed by the police. Um, about five weeks ago. About five weeks ago. We will post the information on that story. It is not a good story. Um, so there were already already tensions there. Uh, in the course of these protests, I have the, the video of the Austin Police Department, I I have been troubled by, um, to say the least. And we will put up the um, different stories, but there have been at least three uh, civilians who have been really seriously injured for, as far as I can tell, doing absolutely nothing. Showing up and exercising their right to free speech. For showing up and exercising their right to free speech. I will say that, Antoinette, you and I have been to plenty of protests in Austin. Yep. Didn't see this at the women's March. Didn't see this at the, um, keep our families together. March. Didn't see this at the airport 
protests. Um, suddenly, it's people saying Black Lives Matter, and we see um, a 16-year-old, Brad Ayala, who was finishing, again, we'll post this from the Statesman, finishing a shift at an Austin sandwich shop, um, and was hit in the head with a beanbag round. There's a really... This story you sent me from the Battalion, Antoinette? This morning, yeah. Um, is written by the brother of the Texas State student who's in critical condition um, in an Austin area hospital. There is um, Serenika Nemo Martin, who was pregnant, who is pregnant, um, and was uh, injured in Saturday's protest. We will post that story. Um, Lloyd Doggett this morning tweeted that the Austin Police Department says that it will now long uh, will no longer use beanbags or lead pellets in crowd situations, but this decision comes too late for those seriously injured by APD last weekend when suffering cannot be undone. He goes on to note the weapon uh, may be quote unquote less lethal than a regular firearm, but it fractured the skull of Justin Howell, a Texas State student who remains in critical condition. Uh, Anthony Evans required emergency jaw surgery, um, and and on it goes. Um, just completely unacceptable. And then last night, and I should say, we're recording this on Friday morning. As we're recording this, the city council is meeting. We are not live newscasters, so I'm not even going to attempt to update What's going on? But what I wanted to bring up is last night the city council had a meeting where it was a Zoom meeting anyone could watch, and people um, called in. 300 Austinites spoke. And I watched about an hour of it, and it was really, really hard to watch. Um, the brother of the 16 year old spoke, um, was obviously, you know, weeping throughout um, his remarks there were various other people who had been injured who spoke and it was it was just it was troubling to, uh, troubling is not a strong enough word but it was um it, it was hard to watch and then and this is the part where even if you aren't at these protests i really think we need to be paying attention <laughs> right um which is that at the end of this, the city council had a vote on, and I haven't found yet an article on this. I'm seeing all of this on social media. So, you know, pardon me if I'm, it takes me a second to get this all out. But basically, there was a $400,000 police grant um, that Austin leaders were voting on at the end of this meeting, whether to take this grant or not. Um the police department already takes up 40%, 40% of the city budget, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And this grant amounts to 0.1% of the APD budget. Um, this I'm getting from um, Dan Solomon, who's a Texas Monthly reporter on Twitter. We will again put this up. So it, it was kind of a, like... I don't want to say inconsequential, but it, it was a small amount of money, and it seemed like a chance after hours, and at this meeting went on for hours and hours. I only watched the first hour of it. It went on for hours and hours and hours. All of this, <laughs> you know, all of these citizens talking about police misconduct, and then the city council approves this grant, and it just seems like were they watching a different meeting than I was watching? Um, four city council members um, voted against it. The remaining did not. My city council member in District 9, Kathy Tovo, voted for it. She got a phone call from me this morning, voice message, because that's what was offered. <laughs> um, but it seemed like a, a first chance to say, wait a second. Hold on, you know, you guys have not behaved 
in a way that suggests we need to be giving you more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. And it's just unsettling. I, I don't understand what the rationale could be after this week of bad behavior, allegations of bad behavior long before that, and a budget that's 40% of our, <laughs> you know, tax dollars go to mm-hmm. this department. So it was very troubling. We'll post more information about it. Please call your city council members. This can't just be, you know, you're posting on Facebook, you're putting up a sign. Um, we need to put, you know, get active. Last thing I'll say about this, and then we can um, move on, is that the city is currently doing a survey on how it allocates its budget. Have you taken the survey, Antoinette? I believe that I saw that link and clicked through on Sunday. Okay. I thought Sunday was the last day. I might be wrong it, about they've, that. They've, they extended it to July gotcha. 1st. Oh, we're going to put this, yes, and we're going to put this in the episode notes. Please, if you live in Austin, do it. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. Because <laughs> what it is, is they show you where all of the money goes in our budget, and then they ask you to reallocate it as you see fit, and you can't submit it until you've balanced the budget. And it is wild, because if you start taking money out of the police budget, and I'm not talking about, you know, give them zero dollars, but if you take, you know, a few million dollars out of that police budget, it's pretty wild to see all of the different places it can go. So we will post up that survey, please take it. This is my rant for so the day. many opportunities. Austinites in particular, listen up and please take action. My council member Ann Kitchen apparently also voted to award that grant money and mm-hmm. needs a call from me today as well. And um pay close attention to who voted for it and who voted against it because um the the layering of trauma in this city on black people apparently never ends. Every layer that can be put on right now is being layered on top of each other. And we, we need to stop this smothering. So make the calls. One thing that I would add in and kind of start to transition this conversation is that while in Austin, we have, as Lucas just detailed, these multiple accounts of police misconduct and brutality. And we have a city that is now the citizens paying more attention, holding leaders to account, and ultimately looking at defunding the police department. It is worth in your city, wherever you live, a closer look at how all of these things are playing out for you locally, because Austin is not alone in this. We are not the only city that is experiencing this that has had peaceful protests met with militarized, weaponized like overreaction from the police. So this this mass movement to just question how much money are we putting into this this police force that's supposed to be protecting us? I think this is happening all over and no. we would recommend that you look into that wherever you live and take appropriate action. Uh, yeah, and it's not I mean, I just would would let, just say for myself like I have f- definitely followed APD to some extent before this, definitely not as much as I should. But, um, you know, I don't think it's a doctrinaire position at this point when you see signs calling for the firing of the police chief or demands to defund the police. I mean, this is just, it's just not acceptable. And it's not acceptable. We need to. So here's the deal. Here in Austin, Lucas has neighbors that he knows live in District 9, and I have yes. neighbors that I know live in District 10, and we are more than more than likely going to, after this recording, start texting a few people that we know to oh, yeah. say, this happened, here's a helpful link for background, please make this call, just say this very quickly on the voicemail and get on with your day. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you the first thing I did this morning was I took a screenshot of my city council member's phone number, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. There we go. Just there we go. Couple li- just couple lines. Here's what happened. If you live in District Nine, give this person a call right now because you know the social media post itself does nothing. 
but the phone calls matter. The social know. media posts may do something. But I do think that if we can get the people that we know to take action on this, then we are engaging in, believe it or not, relational organizing. So if you kind of roll back the tape to Monday's recording, we spent the entire session talking about echo chambers and then ending in relational organizing, which just as a reminder is leveraging your existing social networks and social relationships in order to have good conversations about change, social change, progressive change, uh, making a better America for all of us. And after we take this break, we are going to come back with an interview with someone who has been doing relational organizing in a very formal way and helping to get all of that set up for an electoral campaign. We'll be very excited to talk with Matt Oliver after the this break. Is, this is going to be good, so don't. So stick around. Stick around for the stick five around. seconds that we get to take a <laughs> breath. All right. Welcome back. Lucas and I are super excited to welcome a guest today. We have with us Matt Oliver, who is the husband of TX25 congressional uh, candidate Julie Oliver. He's also an Austin area musician and an activist and until very recently had been acting as Julie's campaign manager. So welcome, Matt. Happy to be here. Um, thank you. How are you doing today, by the way? I know it's been a weird couple of weeks, extra weird. Um, I'm pretty agitated. I think a lot of people are. It's um, it's hard. You can't switch this off. It's so visceral and there's just so much pain. And um, I think like a lot of people, I'm just trying to channel it into something productive. Yeah, we all are. We've spent a few episodes now talking about allyship and actions to take and all of that. So while that's not necessarily the central reason why we wanted you on the show today, I think anything that you have to add to that is helpful. Um, we did want to talk about relational organizing. We did an entire episode on Monday on echo chambers and our way to to leverage the relationships that we have um, in ways that are helpful to campaigns and progressive causes. And relational organizing is basically leveraging those existing social relationships for progressive change. And this is actually a concept that, I mean, I'd been doing this. Most of us had been doing this. Like we have a text tree with our closest and best, and we tell them, call our congressman today, whatever. But I'd never seen it done at this level until I received the invitation from you to to download the Reach app on my phone. And then I joined a couch canvassing that um, Julie's campaign was doing. So can you talk to us a little bit about relational organizing as a whole, like how it compares to other types of organizing that campaigns normally use? Yes, I would love to. So um, relational organizing is something that you hear talked about a lot um, in, in sort of like progressive organizing spaces. And so I want to take a step back and just like at its most basic relational organizing, the, the concept is if I text my friend or my family member or my coworker, they're much more likely to take an action than if they get a cold text from a campaign or a nonprofit who's asking them to take that action. Um, it, it gets back to a lot of like, scientific studies that have been done when you might mail a voter uh, with some gentle social pressure, some gentle guilt that says like, hey, we know that you haven't voted in the last couple of years. You are 60% as good a voter as your neighbor or something. So that research really informed relational organizing. It's been happening forever. Um, it's, it's really at the it's very fundamental to what organizing is. Um, but it's been kind of buzzy and like talked about, obviously, for a few reasons. So right now uh, we're in a global pandemic. We can't go door to door. We can't crowd canvas. We can't go to events and and do the kind of traditional organizing thing. Um, but Emily Isaac, who was Bernie Sanders um, national relational organizing director, made a really strong point um, when I talked to her a few weeks ago um, when I was trying to really get um, my feet under me with relational. And she pointed out that field has been broken for a long time. Um, so when we are traditionally talking about field operations for campaigns or for like, um, constituency organizing, the, this, the people that we really need to participate, whose interests are not being represented in 
local, state, federal government are young people, um, the LGBTQIA community, people of color, working class people. Uh, and what a lot of those folks have in common is that they move a lot. Um, you know, in, in the American economy, most people have two jobs now. And um, most, you know, our cities all over the country are just getting more and more unaffordable. So it's like those folks that, that organizers and progressive organizing really want to reach um, are not going to be home when you go knock on their door. They're not going to pick up the phone when you call. They might respond to a text, maybe. So um, there was a, there's really this kind of um, uh, niche that needed to be filled. And so um, I'll let y'all ask some questions, but that's sort of like the overview of relational. It's almost like it had to happen anyway. So we're, we're kind of happy that we had the infrastructure and Julie's campaign to, to, to incorporate reach, which is a, a just a, a technology that um, facilitates relational organizing. Right on, right on. We talked a little bit on the podcast about how, we had such an, an auspicious start. We had planned an entire first season that was going to talk about the Texas legislature. But Lucas and I went into a recording studio to record our banter for the first episode pretty much the day before Austin shut down. And there's no way to carry on with life as usual in a pandemic. So tell us a little bit about that experience of the campaign um, really changing directions and changing strategies with the pandemic and relational organizing as it relates to that. So Julie was really clear after um, the primary. Um, so she was in a primary. Um, she ran against a woman who we have so much respect for, a formidable organizer. Um, she's made a lot of really positive change in our community. Her name's Heidi Sloan. And um, after that primary um, the plan had been to sort of have a big old party and invite everybody. And, 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 uh, we just weren't able to do that. And Julie, um, the most important thing to her was making sure that all of her team was safe. All of her volunteers were safe. Everybody, um, who might possibly be at risk of being exposed by an asymptomatic carrier who was going to knock on their door. That's just not an option for Julie. So, you know, people's safety came first. And so she just had to make the decision to say, like, we are shifting everything online. Um, uh, and that was pretty, that was pretty hard, I think, for Julie's uh, team. Um, after having knocked on 75,000 doors, um, they had planned to knock on, you know, 300,000 doors in the general election. Wow. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a really, you know, it was a core part of how you turn people out is you just mm -hmm. go talk mm -hmm. and listen to them. Um, and so that was a big adjustment, um, definitely, for the team. It, it was not like, it wasn't easy. Um, but what that really looks like is nothing has changed except um, there's, we're not launching canvases in person. So phone banks, text banks, couch banks. Um, couch banks are where everybody gets on a Zoom call um, and maybe they use the reach app to reach out to 10 of their friends and family or maybe they're, they're all like having a Netflix party as they uh, text together. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to try to keep people together in some kind of virtual space um, to foster community. And it's working great. Um, and uh, I think that the, the field program is, is doing great. And um, Julie herself has um, just been holding as many online, open to the public, open to all comer town halls, um, making herself available. And I think the thing that she's probably the most proud of is that during the first uh, wave of COVID when we had just startling uh, uh, numbers of people losing their job. Um, people were scared. People couldn't get food. Um, the focus of the campaign became not electoral. Uh, Julie was basically like, we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to, we don't care about political parties right now. 
And so she um, very intentionally just kind of said like, I, I, we, we need to just reach out to everybody we can, uh, make sure that they're able to get their prescriptions, make sure that they, if they are elderly or if they're a shut in, that they're able to get their groceries. And so uh, they ran a very successful mutual aid campaign. Um, and just like, there's just so many stories from all over the district, like, you know, somebody wasn't able to get chicken feed in Gatesville or uh, somebody wasn't able to get their prescriptions, helping people navigate unemployment, um, even though that's a state function, um, really being able to guide them to the correct like resource. Um, and they wound up making a, a 13 county really exhaustive um, document that just provided guidance to everybody on federal, state, and local resources that were available to navigate um, this crisis. So, um, yeah, I'm proud of Julie. I'm proud of, of her team for, for stepping up. We circulated that document through many, many, many circles because it was so comprehensive and so well done. And speaking of that movement, just as Julie in the 25th um, put together that great document, that great resource, and went into community service mode, we saw that Wendy Davis in the 21st did something very similar at the same time. And I was curious because our congressman, Chip Roy, sorry to sully the space, Lucas, with his name. I'm just going to say it. Um, I had to go online and see what he was offering as our actual incumbent elected representative. And he had nothing. It was the same generic federal information that you could have found on you know, the WhiteHouse.gov page at the time. Just nothing useful for us and nothing tailored to us. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that Roger Williams, the incumbent in 25, it was probably the same. Um, and, and it just kind of, to me, reinforces this idea that the relationship, we're talking about relational organizing, but relationships within the community matter to these candidates, Julie Oliver, to Wendy Davis, and, and to all of these progressive folks that we are trying to help get into office. Um, with regard to relational organizing, I'm just sort of curious what you see or hear on the horizon on the Republican side of things, do you believe that this is an um, a strategy that is at all appealing, usable, helpful, functional for? I like as far as like the Republican Party goes, um, I don't I mean, I'm sure that they they have lots of money um, and they have uh pretty advanced infrastructure. Um, Donald Trump has co-opted the entire thing and his team developed an app um, that tries to gamify, um, you know, like you get 10 points if you tell somebody to sign up for his mailing list or something, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, but I don't think that um, this idea of sort of like, what what mutual aid or what relational is all about it's not about like an election per se it's really about and especially in this moment right now when we're only we're only at the beginning of this great depression era level of unemployment that we're going to see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like the cratering of the american middle class is we're really now that's going to come to roost so it's going to take sort of every level of society, almost like a world war two style mobilization where we are all just like linking arms and saying like, we all have to do what we have to do to defeat this virus and to rebuild our economy in a way that actually is sustainable. Um, and so that transcends politics. It transcends government. I think it really gets to the heart of like what American society is like versus what other countries societies are like mm. and like what we value and, and how much we really care about our communities. Uh, because it's just like, as you said, you saw that the, the folks that were uh, entrusted with being able to uh, mobilize that style of, of collaboration were totally unprepared. And so we need, you know, 
we're on our own basically. And so that's what right. these mutual aid calls are about. It's kind of like, do you need uh, to know who lives close to you who might be able to help you? Um, uh, not so much like, you know, Julie is the savior. It's more like we know some people in your precinct or on your block that are also, <laughs> uh, you know, stockpiling these supplies or whatever. Can I just ask a, a just sort of stupid question, like ba- not stupid question, but just a basic relational organizing question. I'm just thinking like, I love this idea. I'm fully invested. Right. If I were to say to just my social circle, Hey, this is what relational organizing is. You know, you should be doing it. Here, here are some basics. My sense is the people who would really be like, oh, yes, are the ones who are already pestering everyone in their social circles. So how do you expand the people doing the organizing in addition to? So what you're describing right now is a phenomenon call like that we think of as like the huge social discomfort factor in those landmine conversations. Ironically, right. Most people are totally cool with grabbing a clipboard, grabbing some lit, going and knocking on some door, talking to strangers, but they're terrified of talking to somebody who they might have to have Thanksgiving dinner with about like anti-black racism in this country. Right. And so it's, that is a very real thing that we have to deal with all the time. Um, I don't have like a great answer for you other than to say the first uh, relational ask is just like the first door on a canvassing shift. It's always the hardest, but then once you do it, um, it, it comes easier. And I think as it pertains to this campaign or as it pertains to building for, uh, a success, um, which in 2020, everything's online. Um, that means that we have to win elections. Um, I think what it means is, uh, lessening that social discomfort by using the right tool. And so I, there are lots of great relational organizing tools. There's one called Empower that was developed by some activists in Wisconsin. Um, there is one locally called Blue Squad, which is fantastic. Um, we chose Reach because it has the lowest social discomfort factor for us. It doesn't require you to uh, upload your contacts it's and it doesn't display any personally identifiable information. So, if what it does is it reads the voter file for a jurisdiction. So, if I live in the district um, and I do a search on my friend, uh, they'll come up if they're registered to vote. If they're not registered to vote and they live next door, then I say, "Well, wow, my friend needs to get registered to vote." Um, so that's at at the heart of it. That's it, and I think that. The asks that we make, um, it's not about having to go to somebody who you have the most anxiety about talking to and and making a hard ask. You'll always have to make a hard ask in organizing. Um, But it's about layering it in a way that you feel like if they say no to your first ask, then at least you can get them to that second ask, that other level of engagement that you feel like um, uh, they'll do. Hey, you know, can you uh, sign up to send texts uh, for Wendy this weekend? No? Well, that's all right. Um, how about five bucks, you know? <laughs> and like, just, no. uh, yeah. oh. and, and, and it is, about, it's about like sort of like suiting up and saying like, this is going to be hard, um, but I got to do it. I think it is it is critical that we get outside of our silos, um, and I tr- I try to think of things like geographically too. Like, who do I know that lives in a part of the district that we might not have a, a great footprint in, and and how can we empower them to become essentially an organizer in their community? That's great. Yeah, my very brief experience using Reach on behalf of Julie. It started out so slow and heaven bless Jason, who is your organizer, who had to put up with me and my many, 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 many questions. But he did provide so many answers. And we went through that entire process. And just like you said, Matt, 
he he gave these really great prompters to kind of remind you to think of people outside of the normal set of people that you might consider. And I found myself with a list of about 25 folks who were not already really active with your campaign that I know that live in District 25. Um, a couple of the names that popped up surprised me because I have doubts about whether they are progressive and they're the only ones that I've hesitated on. But everybody else, I think the fact that your campaign makes it easy for us to start the messaging in a way that's comfortable for us really helps. Because for some of them, the question is just as easy as, hey, I am helping out the Julie Oliver campaign. Do you know anything about Julie? You know, what what issues are important to you? How can I help to connect you to her positions and policies that she supports on the issues that are important to you? And that's not a difficult I don't think that's too difficult of a conversation to start. The ones that I'm most kind of uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to start this are the people who I kind of know through like professional routes. And I'm just not really sure where they land sort of like politically, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, again, those minefield conversations like the last thing we want to do is make anybody uncomfortable. Um, but one way I like to think of it is that like, especially in Texas and it's, you know, in, in this country right now, we're facing like so many different crises, but one of the, one of the really sort of like glaring crises in our democracy is like, um, private equity has kind of gutted local news and local media. And so people's access to information is really filtered through social media, which is very toxic and really divisive. Um, and the algorithm rewards like the most horrifying shit to bubble up to the top. And so it really skews what people think they might know about something. You know, it's like, I'm thinking of mm -hmm. Ted Cruz and it's like Charlie Kirk and just like right wing crazy shit. Um, but that's not really like when Julie has been out, talking to people that might be consider themselves Republicans in small towns. Um, that's not what they're about. That's not what they're like at all. You know, um, they're really the same as all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think the cool thing about reach is it allows us to present that information from a trusted messenger. Um, Local news should really be a trusted messenger for people. But one of the things that we've we've continued to see, I'll give you an example. Right now, we you know we have continued to see police escalating violence as people are demonstrating um, following the George Floyd murder. And um, local news in Texas is um, just doing their best to like, keep the lights on. So they'll book Greg Abbott and they'll ask governor Abbott, you know, what do you have to say about all this protest violence? And that's a real disservice because people aren't seeing the real story of what is actually happening on the ground. Right. And right. that's just one example, but with democratic electoral politics, um, the messages that people receive are so skewed and so filtered that it's really important that um, if somebody has expertise or, or somebody uh, really wants to serve, that they're getting that introduction from a trusted messenger. It also, it seems like, in the, especially in these gerrymandered districts, this especially makes sense. I mean, the whole thing makes sense, but like, I'm just thinking about experiences I've had where I've been sent to Canvas, like in, in the district, but it might be in a on on a street that I've never once walked down in my life. It's 20 minutes away. I've got the Google Maps out. And it's like, I don't even know the issues in wherever I am. I don't know where I am. So that that really is. Yeah, Texas, we, we really, um, we have done a lot of organizing on the ground, thank goodness, over the last three years. Um, uh, 2014, I would say, was like, there was a huge injection of energy and then it kind of fell off because that was such a disappointing result for so many people. And then 2016 happened and it was just like, forget it. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, I think like we're just doing our best to, um, to continue to push and build um, 
however we can. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think everybody should go. If you're listening to julieoliver.org slash volunteer and say you want to sign up as a reach, uh, captain and it's super fun and it's super easy. Um, yeah, that's my plug. Reach is great. I, I'm having a good time. And, and to that end, I did sign up for Sunday couch canvassing at 530. Yay. Well, we are fortunate enough to have Matt for a little bit longer. So we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to reach into the grab bag and see what kinds of recommendations we have for you for this week. All right, we are back and we are coping with our tizzies, as we say. What are we doing to stay grounded uh, in this unsettling time? So, Matt, as our guest, I will turn to you first. What uh, what do you got for us? I, know, I haven't done as much like yoga or exercise as I would like, but I would say like if I could, that's what I would do. But um, I don't know. One, one thing I have been enjoying is my daughter and I have been reading Harry Potter books together. Um, so every night we'll just like shut off all the electronics and just turn it off and pick up the Harry Potter. Um, it's just one way to just like just shut out the noise for a moment. And I have also – I'm getting old. And I think it really shows because I really started enjoying Steely Dan's entire discography. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I feel like a total like LSD burnout. Like I don't know. It's just it's dark. It's cynical. The lyrics are really um, just like really dark, but the music is just so good. My husband has been binging on he started binging on Steely Dan from about the age thir- age 35 to 45. So he was an old man long before his time and I am well versed in in their whole any any specific songs or an album that you're thinking of that stands out above all others. Uh well, you know, I'm just kind of going through in order. So um, you know, Can't Buy a Thrill is what I was listening to before I got on here, just on repeat. Um but it's funny, like I know a lot of like really crusty noise rocker, like avant-garde, the most edgy people in the world, and like they're really into Steely Dan. So I don't feel wow. that old, but it's just kind of like I also don't have the cred of being like a noise rocker, crusty. I'm just like <laughs> you have so much other cred, Matt. Right. You're in good shape. Sure, Antoinette, do you have anything for us? I, I have something that's been keeping me busy, and I'm not going to recommend it as light reading at all. Um, I got into it because there has been some kerfuffle. Actually, Lucas, as a, a writer, you may have heard about My Dark Vanessa. Do you know about that book? Uh, yeah, I haven't read it, but I've heard about the kerfuffle. Well, yeah. I have not read it either. And the kerfuffle is that the woman who wrote that book, which is a piece of fiction, it's a work of fiction, um, received a seven-figure advance in the literary world, and it involves a teenager, a teenage girl at a boarding school, who has an extended affair with one of her male teachers who is, you know, in his 40s or something like that. Anyway, um, there the kerfuffle involves another book that is called Excavation, and the author is Wendy Ortiz. Wendy Ortiz published her memoir of when she was age 13 and began an affair with her teacher at her private school, who was 28 at the time. And so this memoir chronicles that five years or whatever for her. Um all of this to say, I read that since we last recorded a weekend grab bag, and I am not recommending it to everybody because it ain't for everybody. I don't even know that it's for me, but I did feel like I needed to kind of reference that that touch point in the kerfuffle. So that's what I read. I'm not recommending it. What I do recommend, <laughs> though, <laughs> this is keeping me busy and making me feel better is... As I continue to see news headlines and I'm getting emails from companies that I'm on their in their database on their mailing list, I am keeping track of all the ones that say Black Lives Matter and the commitments they are making 
to changing their business, whether it's on the inside or it's the outside. This is my way of keeping receipts because sometime later I will produce the receipts and I will ask for evidence. And that's making me feel better right now. I do recommend that to anyone else. I like that. All right. That's good. That's what I got. That's what I got. Okay, very good. Lucas, I, what about you? Oh god. Well, we have a we have a real history on this podcast of recommending things for the weekend that are not fun and extremely dark. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. so I had nothing good for this I I don't know. I feel like I've been so like with the news and everything just not um like reading and and watching as much. And um, so I pulled out my list of all of the movies we've watched in quarantine and was like, I'm just going to say whatever the last good one was. Oh, God. It was The Light. Have you guys seen The Lighthouse? No. No. It is. It's um, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are like stuck together in a lighthouse. They're like lighthouse men, like I don't I'm not I I don't remember when it takes place. It's in black and white. It is extremely depressing and intense. I'd recommend it. I liked it. And the other thing I'm going to recommend is on the the note of exercise at the beginning of the pandemic, I bought a jump rope. And it has been nice because you can just pound that thing into the ground for 15 minutes you're sweaty you feel better <laughs> so rocky rocky type exercise and herman melville type entertainment that's and that's steely, I'm getting dan. <laughs> and steely, and steely dan. dan um matt thank you so much for joining us thank we you really all appreciate for it this is so thank you matt um Okay, so that is us for the week. Um, next week we are continuing. We have been saying "ally," Antoinette. I this I I feel like I have all of these issues with that word. We are going to continue talking about um, how how to stay involved in this fight for racial justice, basically. Um, talking about corporate accountability we're going to talk about da's next week and boards of education and boards of education all important um you can find us on this world pod on twitter on instagram oh this world pod at gmail we're on all the channels apple stitcher this that um if you think to rate and review us do that um and And, yeah write a review rate us Subscribe. Write a review. Um, Stay safe this weekend, and we will see you next time. Bye.